Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is it coming home? Welcome to the game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. A big thanks to our sports editor Alex K. Jelski for the musical intro today. We are less than 24 hours away from England versus Sweden in the last eight. In the studio with me, it's Alan Smith. And in Samara with the England squad, it is Henry Winter. Hello, Henry. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Alan. Uh, later on, we're going to be joined by Oliver Kay, who witnessed France progress into the last four with victory over Uruguay and Nizhny Novgorod. And we'll be discussing Belgium beating the bookies' favourites Brazil to set up a semi-final date with the French. But first, Henry. England have only ever reached a World Cup semi-final once before on foreign soil and they are 90 minutes, possibly more, away from doing so again. Uh, just how excited are you, first and foremost? I think the whole country is excited. I was uh, talking to a couple of players over the last couple of days and saying, are you very aware, even though you're in this incredible bubble, are you aware of what's going on back home? And they said, well, yeah, because of social media and because of talking to family and friends, they've been absolutely catching up with the, the, the wild scenes all over the country. And it's, it's not just in England, it's around the world. I mean, I got sent a, a photograph from a friend in a bar, Leeds United fan, a bar, absolute packed bar in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Just Derby fans, Leeds fans, everyone. It's England United at the moment. So it's great. Everyone's putting their club affiliations to one side and just really backing the team because they're a young team. They're so, they've got so many sort of attractive qualities and there's a humility about them and, and people can see that they're going places. So absolutely, there's, a, there's an excitement towards England and there's also a very quiet belief within England, within the squad. What about you personally, though, Henry? How, are you nervous, you know, especially pre-match? How are you going to be feeling, do you think? Not really nervous. We're too busy working. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think when you get to this stage, you just want to see English players just put on that shirt and just go out and do themselves justice. Their families are out here. They know what a key moment this is. They'll probably go and do great things, and some have done great things with their clubs, but nothing compares to actually doing it for your country. You know, you see the teams out here. You see the teams who are distraught when they get home. So, you know, the tears and then the reaction when they get home. International football is huge. I mean, it's come under attack in recent years with the Champions League being so good, the Premier League being so big. 
El Clasico and all that. There's so much focus on the money in club football. But actually, the emotion and the drama and still the quality in international football, as we've seen in this great tournament, has been fantastic. So, yeah, it's happened. I, I don't get nervous. I'm just a journalist reporting on the event. I'll go and talk to some fans beforehand and take my seat in the stands and, and just wish them well. And they're just a genuinely nice bunch of players. I had a chat with Jack Butler yesterday. He wasn't doing any sort of media interviews, but he was just sort of floating around the media centre. There's no real ego in the squad. There's no real star name. Everyone talks about Harry Kane, but anyone who knows Harry Kane knows he's as humble as they come. And I think that sort of sets the tone. I think for me, the person who embodies the squad best on and off the pitch is Kieran Trippier. He's one of the nicest guys you can meet around the hotel. Everyone says it around the hotel to staff, to FA people. He goes up to them and says, how are you doing? You're coping, you know, okay, away from home, missing your family, whatever. He's a very conscientious individual. And of course, I mean, he's been fantastic on the pitch as well. So, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're a very appealing bunch. I want to ask you, Henry, how will the mindset of the team and the fans change shifting to a game against Sweden where England are the favourites? Well, I'd say Sweden are the favourites, but England don't have a particularly good record against them. And you know with Sweden that they will absolutely give everything, particularly against England, because they've grown up watching Tips Extra, the, the, the programme they have there, which just focuses on the Premier League. They probably know more about Premier League players than about English players. A lot of them want to come over and play in England. So they've just got this huge desire to, uh, to get one over on the, on the English. You could see with some of the leading questions that were put to Harry Kane and Gareth Southgate by some of the Swedish journalists today, and we're, we're, you know, we're all good friends with the Swedish journalists, we've played them so many times down the years, but we're just saying, oh, you're just trying to play into this perception of English entitlement, where there simply isn't the case with the, the English players at the moment. They're, they're very humble. You know, the Swedes are going on, oh, you all play for big clubs. I mean, Harry Kane was out on loan. Kieran Trippier was rejected by Manchester City. He had to, you know, he had his own journey to the top and a few delays and dead ends along the way. So uh, there isn't that sort of any arrogance around this English team as, as the Swedes think. And I think one or two of them will be in for a little bit of a surprise tomorrow because England certainly don't see themselves as the favourites. They see themselves as hungry underdogs. The former Republic of Ireland striker Tony Cascarino has written for The Times and compared this Sweden side to the Irish side he played in under Jack Charlton. A tough but slow, in Tony's words. Alan, as an Irishman, do you see similarities? Um, I do. I, th- I think Tony's actually probably been a little bit harsh on that Irish team. Um, <laughs> people kind of always assumed that this was just, that team were just purely kick and rush, um, quite physical. Um, and opponents would obviously jump to that conclusion as well but they were obviously far more talented they were players belonging to most of the big Premier League clubs now which as an aside you couldn't really say about the Irish team at the minute or even the past decade or so Um, in terms of the comparison to Sweden to an extent I think Tony's right Um, Sweden's biggest issue throughout the World Cup seems to be the lack of a finisher which you know people can immediately jump to conclusions that you know they need someone like Zlatan and the, these comparisons are uh, they've grown quite tired now because it's quite obvious that as a team they're far more united than what they would have been while Ibrahimovic was playing where it was very much all about him but there were also occasions where in particular Marcus Berg who's been playing up front has kind of he's had quite a lot of chances it's more about the work he's been doing off the ball not necessarily scoring goals but there's a, there's a lot of hard work in terms of decoy runs and bringing other teammates into play which I think has been quite strong but just going back to Tony's point they're a big team who are happy to get physical 
obviously quite strong from set pieces, which um, Anderson, the manager, has said that the game against England will be the first time they feel like they're competing against a team who's similarly strong from set pieces. Obviously, England will have faced Colombia, who were, would have considered themselves to be particularly potent from free kicks and corners as well. They're a big team, not particularly quick, but they're so well-structured and... I wouldn't be surprised if it was a one-all or even a scoreless draw. Some say Sweden have an advantage due to their training base being in a hotter climate. We're expecting it to be, what, 29 degrees, they say, in Samara on Saturday. And Sweden also arrived in Samara a day earlier than England and trained in the stadium today. So have they got any advantage over England at the moment? I think in, in the past, definitely, you might have said that, but this is a supremely fit England team. I don't think the, the heat will be so much of an issue. I mean, I arrived around about kickoff time, and I thought, well, "This is this is nice." Then, uh, then I got sent a picture of uh, my lawn back home. I go, "Wow, it's actually looks hotter in England." So, I think it, I think it will be fine. I don't think it will be a huge issue. It's not like the first game where there were all those midges and moths all over the pitch. I think that was far more sort of distracting to the players. You did see it in the, in the last game towards the end of extra time. Players like Carl Walker, who's supremely fit, cramping up. You might see a little bit of that again. But then again, you know, they, they kept their composure and their, their footing in the uh, in, in the shootout. So, look, I think it's going to be another two-hour stint. I think it could be penalties again. Oh, but I think gosh. maybe psychologically England will be even stronger after what they went through last time. Oh, Henry, I can't believe you've already uttered the word penalties. Let's talk about the man who's going to be in charge of the game on Saturday, Bjorn Kuypers. Uh, we know that the referee, Mark Geiger, uh, enraged the Colombian players on Tuesday night. A lot of the referees have come under scrutiny. So, Alan, what sort of game can the referee, Bjorn Kuypers, expect? Um, obviously, he's... Uh, the- European viewers, he's one of the probably one of the most familiar refs. Obviously, he's quite a regular in the Champions League. Um, probably most notable from the three games he's covered the World Cup was the Neymar incident when Neymar had dived in the box, went to VR, they checked it, and he reportedly told Neymar to shut up um, <laughs> while Neymar was sort of gesturing and screaming at him. Um, not really sure that Neymar paid much attention to that because he seemed, <laughs> he seemed to, to continue on. Um, he was also a referee of the, the Russia-Spain game. Um, PK's handball wasn't afraid to give a penalty there. So I think if we're looking at sort of it being a set-piece battle between the two teams, he seems sort of well-versed in what to keep an eye out for. So we've seen continuously England players being grappled and dragged to the box, which it is probably a symptom of this these clever basketball set plays which which Sedgate has introduced into the team. From an England point of view, I feel like Kuiper's being in charge could possibly be a slight benefit if he's if he's keeping in mind these sort of things. And Henry, just finally, you've already spoken about England United when it comes to the fans, club loyalties put aside, but has pride, do you think, in the national team been restored regardless of what happens on Saturday? Really good question. I think it has been restored, Natalie. I mean, you know, it seems only a couple of months ago that we were in Malta, where the England fans were turning their back on the team. Okay, there are a lot of nice things to do in Malta of a night time. But, you know, they picked up their flags and they walked out. And that was pretty painful for, for the players. Rewind two years to, um, to Nice, when England fans were quite rightly chanting, you're not fit to wear the shirt, and Harry Kane was on corners, and everyone was bemused what was going on, and the disconnect between dressing room and, and terrace which just seemed gargantuan, the, you know, the distance. So Southgate has, by getting the players to show their human side, doing more interviews, 
be more active on social media, little things like people say, was it staged? What Harry Kane did with that five-year-old kid in the Birmingham hospital, Ben, who's, who's got cancer, that is what these players are like. They are individuals like that. They are humans. You know, they've got kids of their own, and they, to a man, they feel empathy for, for that kid. We saw it with uh, with Jermaine Defoe and, when, and Bradley in, in recent uh, times before he tragically passed away. There is that emotional connection and reconnection. I think that's one of the reasons you've seen all these wild party scenes around the country because I think the public generally likes this group of players. They can see the humility. They can see the work fighting their way through adversity. Danny Rose fighting his way through depression. Raheem Sterling, the difficult start he had in life. You know, they're not the only ones there. There are a lot of individuals there who've, who've got stories to tell, who've come through difficult things. And there is a huge empathy for this team as individuals as well as footballers. The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of both of Saturday's quarterfinals on TalkSport. It starts with England taking on Sweden at 3 o'clock. Then the clash between Russia and Croatia is live at 7 on TalkSport. Belgium have beaten Brazil 2-1 in Kazan to reach the World Cup semi-finals for the first time since 1986. Two goals in the first half were enough for Belgium, with Brazil getting a goal late on as they tried to stage a comeback, but they ran out of time as Roberto Martinez's side set up a last-four clash with France. And Henry, we expected an exciting game, but we probably didn't expect Belgium to outclass Brazil, certainly in that first 45 minutes, did we? Well, I thought it was absolute deserved winners. I thought they were they were outstanding from back to front. Courtois with that late save, company with his leadership and organisation. Fellaini, much maligned. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of his. Didn't quite understand where he fits in at Manchester United, but I thought he was superb. And then Hazard, I just thought was just sensational. I mean, he was he was taking the ball, he was running at Brazilians, and he was taking an absolute kicking, but. It's kind of like the thing about play acting. You know, he wasn't staying down. He was looking so slightly ruefully at the ref, saying, "Why am I getting kicked all the time?" And yet he he was just outstanding. And De Bruyne with that goal as well, the second Belgian goal was was fabulous. And Lukaku, when he's in this sort of form, particularly when he's running from slightly deeper and brushing defenders and midfielders aside, he's absolutely unplayable. So, I mean, that is going to be a formidable matchup between. Uh, between France and, and Belgium in the semis. Uh, Alan, Romelu Lukaku uh, appears to be playing in a wider role, which we saw him do sometimes at Everton under Roberto Martinez. Brazil just couldn't live with Lukaku, it seemed. No, and I think because he'd played centrally in all the previous games, Brazil seemed to be taken aback by that. Um, actually, I had a quick look at full-time at his touch map. and I think he touched the ball inside the box three times, but he was incredibly effective going down the right and had a key role to play in De Bruyne's goal, which was sort of... It's quite nice because if you think back to the uh, to the Japan goal when he, he obviously had that nice dummy in the, in the run-up to that and the, there are some similarities where he's sort of taken on the Dries Mertens role of providing the pass from, from the right for De Bruyne and yeah, it, it was effective and I think Roberto Martinez deserves a lot of credit for it because it was, nobody had really seen it coming <laughs> certainly not not Brazil it's just worked perfectly he he seemed to drop deep quite often as well and he, he seemed happy to dig in and do his defensive duties which probably with a, with a centre forward you don't really associate mm. 
centre forwards were, were dropping deep to to fill in these kind of roles, and he seemed happy to do that. And obviously, the left side is where Neymar has attacked Marcelo before his injury he seemed quite creative as well. And until late on, Neymar was silenced. And I think Lukaku's effort probably indirectly fed into to that as well. Do you think Roberto Martinez? can win the World Cup. Bear in mind, he's won the FA Cup with Wigan. Can he now win the World Cup with Belgium? I mean, it was a fantastic story for him because, you know, he was quite slightly maligned. He got a bit of criticism with Everton. But I can remember when you often find you get invited in to see managers when they're at, they're at a difficult time and they want just to sort of, you know, a, a balanced platform like the Times just to sort of allow them to sort of express what they're trying to do without getting controversial headlines or people looking for necessarily for the sort of controversial stories. They just want a platform which they can present themselves. And I remember going to see him at uh, at Everton and he just he just spoke so intelligently and you could just see there's a purist in there. And it I mean, look, it didn't really work out there in the end. But he was always relentlessly positive when he came into uh, press conferences, even when they'd had a poor performance or a poor result. And he's just one of those people you instinctively warm to because he's just, he's very upbeat. His glass is always full. If you see him around um, training ground, so he comes into the, the press room often if he's doing work for sort of television. And he's just such an engaging character. So again, you wanted to see him to do well. There was always this question mark. Has he got the ability to lead top players? And I think he showed in this tournament, and particularly tonight, with the way he set them up with his backroom staff, drawing on the expertise and the leadership of very strong individuals like Company, like Eran Hazard and De Bruyne and Lukaku, one of the most intelligent people you can meet in football. He's drawing on that sort of almost battle-hardened committee and has just created this environment, this team, this tactics, this structure, this belief. And, you know, France are going to be in for a difficult game. What did you make of Brazil's tournament? Disappointing. Um, I think expectations were obviously really high and they showed some glimpses during the group stages, fleeting 20-minute spells where they looked really good. But then suddenly they were going to sleep. And if you cast your mind back to the opening game against Switzerland, they, for most of that first half, and especially then they left with this, these sort of tri- triangles between Marcelo, Neymar and Coutinho, who would, who would veer left quite often, they looked amazing. But the second half of that game, they just faded. Costa Rica struggled until the very end. Serbia was possibly their best overall performance, where Neymar kind of looked like he'd been growing more comfortable, had sort of gained a little bit of fitness having come back from that long-term injury. But then again, today they just seemed to struggle. They had quite a lot of attempts. They had almost 30 attempts in tonight's game, but very few were on target. Courtois made that amazing save from Coutinho late on. But apart from that, he didn't really have that much to do. Henry, I'm interested to know what you make of Neymar, the Brazilian talisman, of course. Will he be remembered more for his antics than his football in Russia? It's an interesting one because the Brazilians are obviously very sensitive about They're so proud about Neymar. They're also sensitive about his image and whether neutrals like the English actually do see him as... I didn't think there was so much play-acting from him tonight, as we've seen in, in some of his previous games. But, you know, you, you do find yourself... I, I haven't watched Brazil live, just only on the television, but you do find yourself shouting at the screen, oh, just get up and get on with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a little bit embarrassing. There's, there's been a great World Cup, but the housing of referees and the play-acting, particularly by some of the Brazilians has, you know, and other teams... Has, has been a little bit embarrassing, and FIFA have got to get a grip of it because it's, you know, this is the opportunity to present the game to the world 
and there are one or two people out there, amazingly, who are not football fans, and, you know, you could win them over. The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We'll be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by Times statistician Bill Edgar. Last time out, we asked you which former Arsenal player was sent off at the 2014 World Cup following in the footsteps of his uncle who had received a red card at both the 1994 and 1998 World Cups. The answer was Alex Song for Cameroon and it was his uncle, Rigobert, who was sent off at two World Cups. Naughty, naughty. Uh, Today's teaser really knocked us for six from Bill. Uh, Who is the only member of England's 23-man squad at this World Cup who is known by his middle name rather than his first name? Interesting. Tune into our next podcast to find out the answer. France secured their semi-final in St. Petersburg against Belgium on Tuesday night after a 2-0 win over Uruguay. Raphael Varane heading in an Antoine Griezmann free kick five minutes before the break. And then Griezmann's strike from distance was fumbled into the net by the Uruguay goalkeeper Fernando Muslera on the hour mark. Oliver Kay watched the game in Nizhny Novgorod. And uh, Oli, France lost the final of Euro 2016, the tournament of course they hosted. Are we seeing a team on a mission to put that right? It seems so. I mean, it didn't necessarily seem so in the first few games when they, when they were quite slow out of the blocks. But I think we've seen it happen quite a few times with um, with teams where they start the World Cup slowly and, and then getting out of the group is is all about survival. And then they they, they slowly find a rhythm in the um, in the knockout stage. And that's it. that seems to be the way that with France. And I think they've got another gear to reach. But I, I felt that They've been so much more impressive in these last two games in different ways. Very spectacular with the pace of Mbappe and um, and Pogba, so impressive, and Griezmann so impressive against Argentina last week. And then a much more sort of controlled, mature, disciplined performance today against Uruguay. So, so yeah, they, they, they do look like a team who are running into a bit of form, and and um, they will fancy the chances of uh, of going further. Well, it is now Belgium in the semi-finals, Oli. And looking at the two squads, would you say that maybe they are the most talented squads in this tournament? Yeah, I'd say there's probably a good argument for that, certainly in terms of um, you know, creative and, uh, and attacking quality. I mean, the amount of talent on both sides, I mean, to, to, to reel off you know, De Bruyne, Hazard, Bukaku, Mertens for Belgium, Pogba, Mbappe, Griezmann, Giroud, Dembele, these squads are very deep and very rich in, in, in attacking and creative quality. Belgium have got very, very good, very, very experienced central defenders. And I think people probably wonder, is, is there a gap in that system? Well, it didn't appear so um, tonight with that wonderful performance against Brazil and Roberto Martinez has done really well with them. Uh, as for France, very, very structured, very organised, it's at 4-2-3-1. Kante doing a, a very good job um, in front of the defence. Um, Amfiti and Varane, very good, much younger central defenders, but, but, but very composed, very um, athletic. And I guess, yeah, from front to back, both of those teams look full of quality. And I, I would say Belgium are the ones who will probably risk more in pursuit of victory, and, and, and France will probably be the ones who who are determined one way or the other to, to, to find a way. And I think it's a really exciting prospect and a, and a, and a great clash of styles and a, and a great 
um, clash between some excellent players on both sides. We've got to speak about England and have your England hat on. You interviewed Gary Lineker, which you can read at thetimes.co.uk, uh, discussing the feelings of waking up the morning of a World Cup uh, semi-final, knowing that England expects. What did he have to say? Oh, yeah, I had a great chat with, with Gary, and he was. Um, we were, I mean, a lot of it was about this this summer and, and what Gareth Southgate's team are doing, and how impressed he is, and how utterly confident he's, he's suddenly feeling. And he was also talking about 1986 and 1990 at those World Cups, and you know, those huge games that most of us of a certain age will, will remember. I mean, against Paraguay and Argentina in '86, and then against um, Belgium, Cameroon, and. Um, and West Germany in the knockout stages in 1990. And he said he was talking about how he never used to feel nervous before games, never. But on the morning of that, that famous World Cup semi-final against um, West Germany in Turin in 1990, he said he said he could barely get out of bed because he just felt exhausted from it, from still from the the game against Cameroon um, three nights earlier than that, which had gone to extra time as as of the one before that. And the exhaustion you feel, the physical fatigue, is far greater than, than than any kind of sense of emotional pressure. I guess he would be probably an extremely composed player, and and, and many others wouldn't feel that way. But he he feels that Harry Kane, for example, has a, has a similar mindset. That, that all of these players will just be feeling excited about the prospect of this quarterfinal against Sweden and. Who knows what beyond um, potentially, um, and and well, I think he, he his words probably um, made me quite excited as well because he, he was he was just saying you know I, I I look at this team and and I look at this match and I do fancy them. He said we have got better players than Sweden. He, he respects Sweden and they're a very professional, serious, hardworking, organised team. Not going to be easy, but I would challenge anybody to. Um, read the um, interview with Gary Lindker and not feel a bit more positive at the end of it. <laughs> well, that's what we want to hear, Ollie. But how are you going to be feeling come kick-off? Are you going to have any pre-match nerves? Um, on um, Tuesday night in, in, in Moscow, I felt really excited and look, was looking for, forward to the game. I think it was only towards the end and that, that sort of crushing blow of the equaliser. Then it just became unbearably tense. And as I said, on Tuesday night, it was the additional tension um, of having to work as a journalist to uh, newspaper deadlines which are right on the right on the final whistle right on the sort of final penalty but it was um, very tense just watching it from every point of view we have to probably brace ourselves for, for another one of those and strap in and enjoy the ride <laughs> indeed uh, so the key thing is if you want to feel optimistic head to thetimes.co.uk to read that interview with Gary Lineker <laughs> Should England, or when England, maybe I should say that, get past Sweden, they won't have long to find out who they'll play in the semi-finals as Croatia against Russia kicks off just a few hours after the final whistle in Samara. Uh, Russia made it to the quarterfinals after winning their last 16 encounter with Spain through a penalty shootout. And Alan, for a team that was predicted to fail by much of the Russian media before the tournament began, they do seem to be coping with the pressure of being hosts. But do they have enough in their team to go further and cause another upset and reach the semi-finals for the first time? Before the Spain game, I think pretty much everybody had written them off. Um, and even from speaking to people who are in Russia about what the atmosphere has been like there, the general public in Russia didn't seem to believe that much. And since Sunday night, 
it appears that the whole country has gone completely mad and bought into it. There have been these remarkable street parties on, on Sunday night continuing into Monday, which was was almost like they had won the World Cup. Um, could that excitement possibly tip them in the opposite direction and they might go into the game against Croatia with this confidence that they perhaps didn't have in the previous games? Possibly. I have noticed that the central bank in Russia have announced that if they beat Croatia they're going to release a new half ruble coin to commemorate um, <laughs> which is shows how expectations I guess have completely exploded since since the Spain game um, in terms of the game again it, it's tough because on paper Croatia have a far better squad um, Croatia's midfield you would imagine have the ability to completely overrun Russia but you could have made the same point about Spain as well and you know, we've all read the stats about how much they run and their effort off of the ball and being hosts it, you know you can't underplay the impact and the influence playing in front of your home crowd can have and I feel like they could cause another surprise As for Croatia you mentioned yeah. their, their midfield and what a midfield that they have but they don't have a, a prolific scorer say like Harry Kane uh, but they have been sharing the goals around six different Croats have been on the score sheet in Russia only Belgium have more goal scorers Yeah and it, I think Mario Mandzukic is an excellent centre-forward in terms of holding the play up and bringing midfielders in. And Croatia's midfield is arguably the best midfield in the tournament. Obviously, people will compare it to France and Belgium as well. But these are players drawn from Real Madrid and Barcelona. Add Perisic to that list as well. And even if you look at, say, the likes of Kovacic, who hasn't been able to get a look into the team, he's he's been appearing off the bench. Um, And there is that depth there. And even watching the Denmark game, when Modric sort of uncharacteristically struggled a little bit, um, afterwards there there was an emphasis on the other players saying you know, this is repaying you for all of the work you've done for us before. And it's a case of if one player doesn't step up on a particular occasion, they're going to have another midfielder next to him who's going to take charge and who's going to push forward. And in the case of the Denmark game, it was even Rakitic. You would imagine that if Croatia to progress, they will need the midfield to overrun Russia. Um, it's, it's more a case of if Russia sort of revert back to four-man defence they'd obviously played five against Spain and just kind of completely sat back and it seemed to have very little interest in attacking if Russia revert back into the system they'd use throughout the group stage I actually think that could give Croatia a better chance of progressing So can you pick a winner? Um, My head says Croatia um, but I think because of this the importance placed on momentum and atmosphere I think Russia could possibly actually edge it. I'm torn. Me and that then opens up the draw for England. (laughs) It's very exciting. Uh, That is it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Alan Smith, Henry Winter, and Ollie Kay. Subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet for just a pound a week for your first eight weeks. Search the Times subscription for more information. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. And we will. We'll be back on Saturday night. Will it be a happy night for England in Samara? We will speak to you then. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. 